Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is May 12th. I am Dave Gasper, joined, as always, by Matt Carroll, and we are the editors at ReviewingBrew.com. You can follow Matt on Twitter at MKEMatt13. You can follow me at DGasper24. And, of course, be sure to follow our podcast account at ColdBrew underscore pod. And, uh, Matt, Christian Yelich is hot, but the weather is far hotter. My God, dude, this week has been insane. I feel like I just woke up one day when it like it was like 50 degrees the night before, and then I woke up and it was like 85 and humid. Like, th- this is insane. Yeah, uh, it's like we're trying to catch up on all that spring that we missed all in the course of three days. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah like it forget spring. 90. We just went to summer. Yeah, basically. It's this is July. 90. Right. No, the, yeah, we don't normally touch 90 here until at least July. Yeah. Um, but here, like, I'm in, again, the border of Wauwatosa and Milwaukee, and, yeah, it hit 90 today. I did, definitely did not think it was supposed to do that. Looks like it did it basically everywhere else inland in Wisconsin, too. So, yeah, hot, I'm hot, in, hot. Yeah, but, I'm in Madison, and my car said 94 today. Oh, you got the PBR there, I see, oh, for... Yeah. For your beer, I, since it is evidently summer, <laughs> Liney's summer shandy. Because think, what else would you drink when it's 90 degrees and humid? Right. I think people pretty much come to know at this point uh, that I'm going to be generally a PBR or Miller Lite slash High Life guy, and you're a summer shandy slash Miller Lite guy. We, yeah. we pretty much, we, that's, We've established that's our thing this. at this yes. point, right? Okay. Yeah. Most of the time, it's Miller Lite, and I do have plenty of Miller Lite in my fridge. Don't get me wrong. But in honor of the 90 degrees of the past week, summer shandy is just necessary. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But uh, we get, like, one more hot day tomorrow, and then it's supposed to be just insanely pleasant for the next uh, couple weeks, it looks like. So got some good weather, good baseball weather coming up. Yes. And we got, uh, after this weekend, uh, uh, six games here in Milwaukee. I Oh, those are going to be some beautiful tailgating days. Oh, I know, man. And like all the all the games so far at home, it's been all buttoned up at the at the AmFam Clam, at the Keg, whatever you want to call it. Um, Miller Park still. I know a lot of you are still on the you know it's it's still Miller Park train. I get it. Um, but it's like it's all closed up. The panels are closed. The roof is closed. Everything's been cold. It's like, could you imagine if we had a homestand during this past week? And just like 90 degrees, roof open, mm-hmm. everything open. Oh, man, I cannot wait. It sounds yeah. amazing. But uh, got another uh, few days to wait for that. But it's uh, it's coming. And hopefully we're going to have a team that is not going to lose two of three to the Cincinnati Reds, man. What the hell was that? That was the weirdest. Like, you come off a huge sweep. Of the Cincinnati Reds, like at home, the Reds are just down in the dumps. They're terrible. They're three and like 22 or something. And then you go into Cincinnati and you lose two of three. What happened? I don't even know what happened. It was the strangest thing. I mean, the surprising part about it is it was our pitching really that let us down. I mean, the Brewers scored um, 21 runs over the course of the series. So averages out to seven runs a game, no run. In no game did they score less than five. That's generally going to be a recipe for success, especially against a Reds offense that was missing some players. You know, they had players on COVID IL. 
Um, and yet they still managed to run the score up there on the old brew crew. I know uh, Adrian Hauser uh, got roughed up uh, quite a bit. Uh, that was basically from the start. And it wasn't even all Colin Moran's doing this time. Um, yeah, I believe Ashby was the Sunday game, correct? That was the last Braves game. So, yes. um, yeah, uh, Woodruff, I, I, I think. Yeah. Woodruff yeah, struggled. Was, Hauser struggled. Yes. Yeah, that was it. Um, yeah, and then the bullpen a little bit as well. I mean, um, that was actually in the game we won, but uh, Devin Williams had, uh, looked a little rough yesterday. J.C. Mejia ends up making his debut and does not go well. Perdomo, after he uh, did a good job in salvaging Devin Williams's inning the game before, did not so much do that in yesterday's game. Um, at this point, like I'm having trouble remembering what even happened in Monday's game because the last two were like plenty enough to like Wednesday, uh, Tuesday's game, I should say was one that the Brewers looked to have in hand and then started getting tense towards the end. And then yesterday's was, uh, looked like we were out of it. Then we were in it and then we were out of it. Then we were miraculously almost pulling a comeback and it just crazy last few days. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the Bucks and like all their stuff going yep. on. I know we're not a Bucks podcast, but game five was oh. insane. I missed pretty much most of it. Like I got like I wasn't able to get home until later. And then I get home and I turn it on. It's like the final like 30 seconds of oh, the beautiful. game. I'm like, oh, this is the perfect time. I've seen I'm yeah. going to see everything I need to see. Close game. 30 seconds left. I, I'm good here. Um, And first of all, Drew Holiday. OK, anyways. <laughs> a defensive god the true defensive player of the year if absolutely we do say so ourselves as absolutely. official brewers analysts yes. talking about the bucks and that is our bucks talk here on the cold brew podcast there we go. back to baseball <laughs> uh christian yelich is he back that's right. We're having this discussion, Matt. <laughs> we are doing it. You know why? Because Christian Yelich decided he was going to hit for the cycle again against the Cincinnati Reds. His third time, only player ever in MLB history to hit for the cycle three times, all against the same team as the Cincinnati Reds. And all three have concluded with the triple. He got everything else first. The so triple is the last one for all three of his cycles. And Yelich, we've been kind of thinking about it. We've been looking at it the past couple of weeks. He's been looking better. It's hard to definitively say, but now we got to have the discussion. Is Christian Yelich back? Screw it. Yes. There it <laughs> Why is. not? Why not? Bold predictions. Bold takes. Why Let's not? go. Hot take. So... I, it's funny. So like about, I think it was about a week ago, I had put an article out there on the site talking about, I, I felt it wasn't quite time to say that. So I just wanted to say that he was looking much more like his regular self. And really, if you looked at his numbers almost across the board, outside of batting average, he was looking almost back to, or actually over a lot of his pace from the 2018 season that he won his MVP in. And in that season, as we know, he started off a little slow and really it was his second half that uh, he ended up winning him that award, but all his numbers were looking great. And at that point as well, um, he was on a stretch of 
seven straight balls that he had put into play, he had hit over 100 miles an hour. Later, that very next day, he ended up stretching that streak to 10. And oddly enough, sorry, sidebar rant, um, I had more than a couple people on Twitter responding with the fact that exit velocity is a dumb stat, which is just... <laughs> it grinds your gears. Okay, if, if you say so. I mean, it, no one's saying that exit velocity determines whether a player is good but if a player is hitting balls that hard that consistently it clearly means that they are in a groove seeing the Mm -hmm. ball well you know anyway sorry okay rant over back on track let's zoom forward now we get through this red series and Kristen Yelich hits yet another cycle and if you look at his numbers now they are just fantastic I mean he's um got the wrong numbers up here um there we go uh 259 he's hitting so you know his average is definitely much more towards the respectable area he's got his uh on base percentage up over 350 which is where we like to see christian yelich he's slugging it close to 500 which is great great for christian yelich his strikeout rate is now down to 22 percent that is his lowest since the 2019 season Boom. Um, so that's a huge sign. And his walk rate has actually come down as well. And I would almost argue that that is potentially a good thing because he's not waiting for things to come to him. In his 2018-2019 season, his walk rates were 10.4% and 13.8%. So that 12.1 is sitting right in between them. 2020, 186 Yes, it's great to walk all the time, but we Yelich didn't get a contract for his ability to walk. Like, Pitchers Yelich were also scared to, to throw him strikes. This is true. This is true. Yeah. But uh, when they were, he wasn't hitting them. Um, right. And then same with last year. You know, it came back down, as did his strikeout rate. But it was still, you know, up there almost 15%. So he is clearly feeling more comfortable attacking the ball. And that, oh, I, I feel bad for you, pitchers, because if Yelich <laughs> is truly back, which – whatever, I'm just going to say that he is, y'all are in for a world of pain. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Things are looking much better. Here's some numbers for you. Since April 29th, uh, when it really kind of seems like he he started on this binge, Yelich is 16 for 46. He's got four doubles, four homers, um, and he's got triple in there. So a majority of his hits have gone for extra bases. Mm -hmm. He's hitting 348. With an on-base percentage of 455, mm. slugging 739, which goes for a 1194 OPS, mm-hmm. which is, of course, very good. Um, so he's clearly been on a hot stretch. And, I mean, you you look at his, uh, his advanced numbers here. I, I got his baseball savant uh, mm. page up here. Um, in terms of, you know, like percentiles. He's in the 90th percentile in average exit velocity across MLB. 95th percentile in expected weighted on base average. Uh, 94th percentile in expected slugging. 98th percentile in hard hit rate. 97th percentile in barrel percentage. Um, Like, he is way up there in all these categories that, I mean, you would expect him to be in. He's in the 7th percentile in outfielder jump. Which, you know, that's defense, but 
I mean, that's just kind of weird. Everything else is red, essentially, except for that one, which is way down at the bottom. But, I mean, you compare these numbers to where he was in 2018 and 2019, when he was at the top of his game. You know, he was in the 99th or 100th percentile in um, a lot of of categories. Um, You know, expected ISO, expected slugging, uh, expected weight on base average, on base percentage, uh, barrel percentage. I mean, his his barrel percentage is currently, he was at the 97th percentile in 2019, and he's at the 97th percentile now. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was in 2019, he was in the 96th percentile for hard hit percentage, and he's in the 98th percentile now. Uh, he was also 98th percentile in 2018. Um, so, like, he's like where he is in, in terms of uh, these numbers, like across baseball, he's back to what he was before. I mean, he was way down there, I mean, in like the 30s and 40s, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for percentile rankings last season. Um, but now, like, he's way back up to, to where he was during those prime years. Um, so those are very positive signs. I think the total number of barrels that Yelich has this year is already rapidly approaching what he had for all of last season um, mm-hmm. in nearly 500 plate appearances. Yeah. So, I mean, it's certainly looking like he's back to what he was. I mean, I'm not sure if he's going to get to an 1100 OPS for a season again, but even just his current OPS of 838. You know, if he can get that and if he can get an OPS around maybe 850 to 900 for the season, I will gladly take that. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's almost barreling 20 percent of his contact is 18.8 percent, which would be a career high, easily be a career high for him. And yeah, you're right. He has 16 barrels already. Uh, He had 22. Someone's barking outside. Um, he had 22 all of last season. So yeah, you're right. He's only six away already from last year. He's already beaten 2020s, which yeah, we're just barely season, over a month into the season. Yeah, exactly. He still hasn't played the same amount of games. Um, so, you know, we had said coming into the season, um, that either Christian Yelich or Keston Hira needed to return to form for this to be a yes. successful Brewers team. Well, it looks like we've gotten one of them. So, yep. Start with that. Yeah. And the the rest of the team generally offensively is still rolling a little bit. Um, Really, like we said, you know, they averaged seven runs a game in that red series, came down a little bit in the Braves series. Obviously, they put up six in that first game, then only scored two apiece in the last two. Um, But there were also, again, in that Braves series, just like there actually were in the red series a little bit, some balls that died at the track once they, you know, got away from home. Um, so factor that in how you will. Um, but overall the offense generally is still rolling quite a bit. Adamas looks better than he did when he started. Telez still looks like Telez coming off of a NL player of the week award. Um, Tyrone Taylor actually has looked good, um, in the little bit that he's gotten to play lately. Uh, I, everyone, everyone's looking solid. Uh, for the most part, your boy, Jace Peterson, looking much huh. better lately. <laughs> he had a Sorry. home run in the ninth inning, man. Like, that's, I, I wouldn't say looking a lot better. I mean, he's, he had, he's a, had like, what, two good run. days here, but. He had a home run the other one. Uh, yeah, it's two days, not lately. I think that qualifies as lately. Just saying. Yeah, well. <laughs> Renfro, uh, that was the 
well, I, I could picture him. I don't know why yeah. I'm thinking of his name. Renfro's hitting bombs. A lot better. He is hitting bombs. Still, my uh, Renfro leads the team in homers prediction. Still on, still out there. It's still possible. Yeah. Uh, uh, back to what you were saying, yeah. though, with um, it being back and forth. And it's like, oh, you're probably like you need to get one of Yelich and Hira um, back to form. I remember preseason. I predicted it was going to be Hira and not Yelich that would do that. It is looking like I was incredibly wrong. So I'll just throw that out there. Um, and should, should I already take the L for that prediction? Keston Hira has been sent down. He's got an OPS of like 650 or something like that. Um, he didn't really get much playing time. Rowdy Telez has taken over first base. And, I mean, Yelich is looking like he's the one that's that's hot at the plates. Hira, I don't know where he's going to get opportunities. But we're going to talk more about that later on the podcast here. Um, but I think it's uh, I think it's more looking like Yelich is going to be the one that bounces back rather than Hira. I don't know if Yelich is going to get again back to that you know 1,000 or 1,100 OPS form, um, but it lo- it's looking like he's going to be back, and that's really. I, I think of the two, if you, if you would have to pick who you'd want to get back, it would be Yelch because he's already signed that big contract extension. You need to you need to have him produce. You're stuck with him for mm-hmm. seven years, whether you like it or not. He's going to be here. So him coming back and, and being back to form, that would that's going to be a welcome sight for everybody except pitchers in the National League. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's keep kind of trying to ride that wave. And then all we need to do is have the pitching just do what we know the pitching can do. That levels back off, and Brewers will be right back where they need to be. Absolutely. And it's going to be great, and we're going to win the division and win the World Series, and it's going to be awesome. And we are still winning the division. Uh, When I checked this morning, uh, we were obviously still winning the division. Um, We, I believe, as of... We might be tied with the Cardinals for uh, run differential now. I know we're really close and the Cardinals lost today. <laughs> um, but the Brewers had were tied for third best win percentage in the National League still and had, I think, the fourth best uh, run differential when I checked. So everything is still fine. We're good. So speaking of Keston Hira, I'm getting uh, updates here through Twitter um, as to what's going on, because the Brewers are not playing here on Thursday night, but uh, the Nashville Sounds and the minor league teams are. Keston Hira has gone deep again. Ooh, Keston Hira right. has two home runs and five RBIs tonight for the Nashville Sounds uh, so far over the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. And also, Ethan Small uh, is pitching in this game, and he has outdueled Marlins pitching prospect Max Meyer. Small struck out nine and allowed one run over five innings. His ERA is sitting at 1.95 through seven starts. So that is our update from the farm, our live update from the farm, sponsored by TBD. Um, still, wait, still waiting on that to come through. Um, we're, PBR, we're, Lineys, we're just, yeah. just so you know. We'll, we'll take yeah, Miller Lite, if you want to sponsor, I'm here. <laughs> But yeah, so there's there's your Keston here update. So, all right, let, I think we got to talk about Keston here now. Mm-hmm. He got sent down to AAA, as we just talked about here. 
Um, wasn't really getting the opportunities. Rowdy Tellez is playing pretty much every single day, and he has been a stud at it, reigning NL Player of the Week. Um, and, and he's been really incredible. So there's not much opportunity for Keston Hira. Not really there at first base. With Colton Wong, even with his offensive struggles, um, Colton Wong is playing every single day at second base. At DH, not really much room there for, I mean, Andrew McCutcheon is going to be there when he's healthy. I mean, the Brewers have been rotating through other guys um, at that position as well over the past few days with uh, McCutcheon out with COVID. Um, but we'll t- also talk more about that later. But Hero needs opportunities to play every single day to really get in a groove. There's nothing more for him really to prove at AAA, but the opportunities just aren't there for him in Milwaukee. I mean, they, they had to send him down. Sitting him on the bench was not going to help him at all, not, not going to get him where he needs to be. So how do you get him there? you got to have him play every single day. And I, I just don't know where he's going to get that chance on this Brewers club. Right. No, it was 100% about getting him some actual regular playing time. He's, he'll get some playing time you know, later in the season. Injuries happen. You can't predict when they're going to be or who they're going to happen to. So there will be times where we will need to bring guys up from AAA, and he will be one of them. Who knows? Maybe maybe Rowdy slumps at some point. Maybe, you know, Colton Wong went through some injuries here and there last year. Maybe he does again this year. I don't know. Um, but he's got to be at a point where he's ready to step in when the Brewers are prepared to call call upon him i should say um and the best way to do that is to kind of keep that bat warm in triple a we know he crushes triple a like you said there's nothing to prove there um but hey you know if that's the case then that's the perfect place for him to stay hot is right there feasting off of triple a pitching um but it it was just it it was just roster math was really what it came down to with him um at the beginning of may rosters shrunk down um, and for a little bit, it ended up being fine. They went a little heavy, uh, didn't cut all the way down in position players right away. And then lo and behold, they start going through Urania ends up being DFA'd. Gustave ends up going down. Um, things have to start kind of, you know, shuffling a little bit in terms of pitchers. And it was time to really start to bolster up that bullpen. Uh, once that happened, and so once it came time to let go of a position player, low man on the totem pole. We need all the rest of those backup guys, um, basically for the specific things they're able to do and the multiple positions they're able to play, versus Hira, who really he's first and second. Yeah, I know they worked him out in the outfield, but when it comes to the Brewers' plans, that's an emergency situation. They're yeah. really not going to try and work him into the outfield unless they absolutely have to. So, yeah, it was just a matter of, you know, he was odd man out. And all he's got to do is just do his thing that he knows how to be able to do on a regular basis down in AAA. And eventually, he'll be needed at some point this year. We know he will, because that's just how the years work out. Yeah, it's it's just going to happen. But as of right now, the roster math is is not good for him. And I don't know if he's going to be a guy that, you know, if they're not able to find a spot for him by midseason, you know, does he become trade bait? Um, that's something that I think I don't know if the Brewers really want to give up on him because I think they know that that 300 average and 30 home run 
uh, type of season is within him. And, and they know that it's there and they want it to happen for, for them. I mean, they've, they've invested a lot into Kessin Hira and they don't want to give up on him per se and send him to another team and then have him find his groove over there and rake for a number of years for someone else. You know, they, they don't want to see that happen. So if they're going to do that, they kind of want to really make sure that they give him every opportunity they can for him to succeed in Milwaukee. But really, I think he's running out of chances. Mm-hmm. I mean, the next chance he gets, I mean, it, it may be his last true chance um, to really kind of solidify himself in Milwaukee. Because, I mean, th- this is going on year three now of struggles, and he's only had one um, decent season, and, and that was his rookie year. And, like, there's just not enough track record at the big league level to continue justifying giving him more and more chances if he's not able to prove that he can do it. You know, Christian Yelich, he's proven he can do it. So you're going to give him as many chances as as necessary to mm-hmm. play every single day. Uh, you're not benching him like you would Hira. Hira hasn't proven that. He doesn't have that track record. So eventually, if he just can't prove it, you got to move on. Yeah, and a lot of his future is also going to hinge upon what Telez does, you know, uh, garnering a majority of the starts now at first base. If the Brewers, after seeing more and more of him, start to believe that, you know what, this is our future right here at first base, then you really have to question Kesson Hira's future because even if the Brewers don't, uh, go with that final year option on Wong. You've got uh, Bryce Terang waiting in the wings. He's had a hell of a year so far down in AAA. Yeah. He's, and you got he's, Felix Valerio shortly after that. Yep, I mean, that dude's yep. raking in AA. Absolutely. So there's guys knocking on the door to help work at the middle infield alongside Willie Adamas. There just might not be a spot left for him unless he gets a chance, an extended chance at the major league level to show, hey, I belong here and I can do this consistently. You're right. Like his future is very, very much in question with the Brewers. And then at that point, it's what do the Brewers do with him? Because you can't just, you're not going to center a trade around Keston Hero with his value being what it is at this point. So is he, you know, a sweetener in a trade? I can't remember if we were talking about this on the pod or after the pod last week, because we chatted about this a little bit, but like, does he become a sweetener for a trade? Does he become like, what, what is he as an asset at that point? And that's a little hard to gauge right now. Right. And I mean, the Brewers do value Hira highly, um, but is, is any other team going to match that value in a trade with, with what they ask back or, you know, are, are they going to value Hira as highly as the Brewers do? Probably not, um, which is going to make it difficult for David Stearns to line up on a trade because, you know, if he doesn't see equal value coming back, he generally doesn't make the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that, that's really kind of a tough situation for, for him and the Brewers, um, with, with how they want to figure this out. Obviously it'd be better if he just started hitting, that'd make a lot <laughs> of things easier. Um, but that's just not the case so far. And as you mentioned with Rowdy Telez playing so well, it's hard to justify giving here at bats and taking him away from Telez. Uh, speaking of Telez, the reigning NL player of the week, back to back. NL yeah. Player of the Weeks for the Brewers. Willie Adamas the week before, then Rowdy Telez uh, going on here. He's taken over the first base job entirely, and he's been hitting the ball extremely well, hitting it hard in the air, uh, getting it super deep. And he's had a bunch of home runs this past week, but he's had a lot more 
that were almost home runs. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like he's had more balls die at the warning track or just, like, hit off the top of the wall than, like, actual home runs in the past. Like, he could have, like, 15-plus home runs on the yeah. season if those if those baseballs flew just a little bit further. And I know we've kind of had our complaints about Manfred and the baseball um, going kind of across the league here. Um, but it, it really could even be so much better for Telez, and he's been hitting the ball extremely well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even <laughs> with those struggles, he's still got an OPS of 833 right now. Um, seven home runs, 27 RBIs for the Brewers. You know, yeah, you're right. We, we've spoken a little bit at length about the dead ball and how frustrating that's been. It's got to be frustrating to certain players who are looking to get paid as well. Because you look at Rowdy's numbers, um, yet he's slugging over 500. That's fantastic. Um, but he's got a batting average of 245. Yeah. On-base percentage of 304. Yeah. Not great. Um, but if more of those balls went for home runs instead of fly outs, more of those doubles went for home runs, um, how much better do his numbers look? And how much more of a chance does he get to make more money after this season's done, you know, and that's mm-hmm. just, we are just talking about Rowdy Telez. Imagine how many other players across the league are potentially falling into this little dilemma that their numbers are suffering because of what MLB has done to the ball. Like it, it's, I, I don't know, like how much we want to, you know, I guess gripe for players who are already making millions of dollars. Cause that's a <laughs> totally different um, situation, but it just, I guess if anything, it's just yet another effect that has happened due to Manfred's inability to just settle on a friggin' baseball. Like, <laughs> for the love of God, just pick something and go with it. How about we pick the ball that that we used before MLB bought Rawlings and decided to mess with it? Yeah. You know, because, like, before that happened, there were never any complaints about the ball. It was consistent. Mm-hmm. It was fine. Everyone enjoyed it. Everything was going good. Never had any sort of concerns, and now we've got all these concerns, and it all happened after MLB bought Rawlings and took it over and started messing with the baseball. And it's like, yeah. oh, we want to try to do this with the baseball. We want to have it fly, you know, a little bit, sh- you know, a little bit less, you know, less home run dependent. But also, people enjoy home runs. You know, flyouts are kind of dumb, and we're just like wasting. Uh, it's it's so dumb, and that that's a whole nother rabbit hole for us to go down. We've got too much other stuff to um, <laughs> deal with here. Andrew McCutcheon. Let, let's talk some Andrew McCutcheon. He is <laughs> yeah. he has spent this past week on the COVID IL, uh, missing uh, the weekend there, and he has been live tweeting his way through it. Mm-hmm. You know, enjoying the Brewer games, watching some TV. Um, you know, just just kind of watching the games, live tweeting it as he goes along, just like all the rest of us, uh, tweeting out rowdy gifts when rowdy does something and. Uh, you know, also complaining about the field and baseball and everything else. And it's really just kind of refreshing to see, you know, a player live tweeting a game alongside, you know, the rest of us, you know, games going on. He's just, you know, tweeting about it as well as we go through. Yeah, absolutely. And like Andrew McCutcheon's been a pretty open guy since he's come to Milwaukee, um, relatively transparent, um, offering some good insights after games, but you only get to like hear so much from players in that little bit of time that reporters get to talk to them before or after games. 
Um, and even when it comes to social media and stuff, you know, some players are on it quite a bit, but they've got packed schedules. They've got to get places and travel, you know, from road trips to home stands and take batting practice and all that good stuff. So, you know, we would love to hear even more from players and their feelings on the game and other players and stuff. Um, but there's only so much time for all that. So it was, it's been awesome to uh, be able to hear this from him, especially during that uh, Brave series. Uh, un- unfortunate that it, he had revealed recently that it actually hit him pretty hard. Um, mm-hmm. He said that first night that he had symptoms were really bad and he's much, much better now. So uh, glad to hear he's uh, on the mend. But uh, even feeling shitty, he was there on Twitter, you know, trying to interact with the fans and uh, give us some good insights. So it was really, really cool to see, uh, despite the situation that caused it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that, you know, I, I believe you said, you know, it felt like I was in a sparring match with Mike Tyson. <laughs> and all I could think of was that guy on the airplane who actually started a fight with <laughs> Mike Tyson and just got beaten senseless mm-hmm. by Mike Tyson. And I'm just like, you know, at least you didn't actually get into a sparring match with Mike Tyson. You know, I like of all the people in the world to pick a fight with on an airplane, Mike Tyson is like the top five, is like a top five worst person to pick yeah. a fight with. Like, why? Fight might I, be I, I just I don't get it. <laughs> no, no. Uh, well, uh, to quote Captain Jack why. Sparrow, I've never been that drunk. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I know why, because I read the story, and that is exactly why he was a very intoxicated yeah. fella. Uh, yeah, so don't do that, kids. Uh, that listen do not to pick a fight with Mike don't. Tyson. It's a no. bad idea. Yeah. There's that the is, more there you is your life advice from the Cold Brew Podcast. Do not pick a fight with Mike Tyson. This is why you subscribe, folks. Mm-hmm. This, this is why you listen to the pod. It's for for tips like that, they just you wouldn't can't have known get otherwise. anywhere else. No. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Um, speaking of injury updates, Jake Cousins. We got to talk mm-hmm. about this. Jake Cousins went on the IL with elbow effusion. Um, but yeah, you know, it sounded bad. You know, it's like oh, it's just kind of fluid in the elbow. It's like oh, okay. You know, we'll see. You know, maybe just kind of let it calm down. Uh, and then they check it out again, and there appears to be concern. Uh, about that elbow and that he may need Tommy John. They sought out a second opinion and he's going to try to avoid Tommy John surgery for now. He's going to do a little rehab. um, I think at a PRP injection and, you know, try to rehab it in six to eight weeks. Um, But I mean, Jake cousins was struggling early on in the season after dominating pretty much when, when he came up last year and I can't help but think, I mean, this elbow issue is probably starting to flare up, you know, flaring up during this first part of the season and probably contributed to his struggles. Um, but, you know, losing him for, at the very least, a, a couple of months here, um, that's a that's a big blow. And, you know, that's someone that really the, the Brewers were counting on to be an impactful reliever for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, most of us that really, you know, followed the team deep last year, expected Jake Cousins to be right behind that trio of Hader, Devin, and Boxberger as, you know, their next high leverage guy. And uh, Craig Council certainly was using him that way to start the season. Uh, But we all could tell at the beginning, you know, things just didn't quite look right. That slider was going 
any number of directions when he would try to throw it. Like he just did not have, you know, a feel for that thing early. Uh, His walks are obviously, you know, way higher than his normal uh, uh, rates. He at one point was leading the league in hit by pitches. um, I think a couple weeks into the season uh, when I had written actually a story about uh, guys who could potentially lose the roster spot when the roster was cut down, he was one of them. And that was one of his stat at the time. Um, so it at least explains why those things were happening, that he didn't just, you know, have a good first half season and then lose it. Um, it's good, encouraging, I should say, to see that he can potentially rehab through this. Hopefully it actually works and they don't, you know, all of a sudden decide, you know what, it actually looks like this is going to require surgery um, because that would be unfortunate to have to then delay uh, what could have started now. But if they can work their way through it, that'll be great because that could actually then be potentially two uh, relievers that the Brewers get back for a little second half bump because Justin Topa is actually getting mm-hmm. somewhat close to being able to um, pitch in some rehab games actually a little bit here. So I, I think with Topa, I, I don't 100 percent know what his timeline is. Um, it, I, I know it, at worst it's or at best it's probably going to be partway into June. I don't think we see Jake Cousins again until probably late July, to be honest. Mm-hmm if he is able to pitch for the Brewers again this season. Regardless, though, that's that's two really important arms that the Brewers could end up using down the stretch and not have to rely on the likes of a J.C. Mejia or Yandel Gustave or, you know, Luis Perdomo. He looked great this spring, roughed up last time. But, you know, if we can get by not having to rely on these guys that are kind of getting added here last second, it would be fantastic. Yeah, and that would certainly take away a need or two when it comes to the trade deadline in July yep. as well. If they can get those guys coming back, uh, that's one less person that they might need to trade for. Um, so that would certainly be a, a good point as well. So, I mean, as long as they can get these guys back, um, you know, if, if Cousins can be at the top of his game and Topa can be at the top of his game, those are two really good bullpen arms uh, for Milwaukee that they could certainly use. All right, Matt, I think we got a... I think it's time for a little bit of a, a bigger discussion topic here. Oh, um, yeah. Bigger we, than is Christian Yelich back? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm boy. talking oh, man. contract extensions. We contract. talked about this a little oh, bit yeah. post podcast last week, um, but this is something that you know I, I think we really kind of need to take a, a close look at here. Um, when it comes to the Brewers, you know we've been pushing for contract extensions for a couple of guys for. A while, mainly Corbin Burns uh, and Brandon Woodruff. Um, and, you know, the, they got the Christian Yelch extension done. They got a Freddie Peralta extension done. Um, and so now the, I think the question is going to become, you know, who is next and how many extensions will the Brewers be able to sign with their core players? They have a lot of players um, that, that are in their core that are in arbitration. So every year their salary keeps on going up and up. Now, I mean, the Brewers paid an extra $30 million uh, or, or like pay raises totaled about $30 million from last year to, to this year for arbitration eligible players. Um, big increase, big increase for Burns, big increase for Hayter, um, big increase for Woodruff and, and all these guys kind of going up and down the line. They got big pay bumps and, you know, the more they stick around, 
the more the Brewers are going to have to pay and the payroll is going to keep on going up and makes it harder to sign free agents. You know, with so much payroll uncertainty. Craig or uh, David Stearns pretty much admitted that uh, during spring training, you know, when they were going through with all those arbitration eligible guys, it's like, we don't know how much we're going to have to pay to all these dudes. They couldn't get it addressed in uh, November and December and January. And because of the lockout, they had to wait until spring training. And then you had the rushed free agency period. It's like, we still don't know how much we're going to have to sign these guys. So they only went out and signed McCutcheon. So in order to get some payroll certainty, some cost certainty over these young players, they're going to want to sign extensions uh, with some of them, especially the top ones. But who do they prioritize? Who, who should they end up going with? I've got a theory um, on, on this, but I want to get your thoughts first, Matt. How do you think the Brewers should approach this, uh, th- this group of extension candidates that they have, their, their arbitration-eligible players? Oh, this is <laughs> this is a question we're going to be talking about for months um, because this is hard. Um, you've like like you said, you've got your 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 three top most talented pitchers on the team: Hader, Burns, and Woodruff. All three of those guys are going to be super hard to lock down um, because they are going to command a lot of money. Top tier starters command a lot of money. Uh, Relievers like Hater command a lot of money, so um, it's it's hard to say. You know, any one of those guys, if you try and extend them, what do you have left to extend? Literally anyone else on the team. Um, offensively, though, you've got uh, to me. I, I think your highest priority is Willie Adamas. I think Rowdy Telez is definitely playing his name into. Uh, competition for an extension as well. So I'm honestly looking at those two. I think you can get Telez at a relatively cheap extension. And with Adamus, if you can lock him in to have a big offensive shortstop on your team who plays defense like he does is so key. Um, So I'm actually hoping that they assuming Telez continues doing what he's doing and shows the Brewers enough. Um, don't do it right now because I'm just, I'm not a hundred percent quite too sure, like right yeah. at this moment. Exactly. I would be more sold on Adamas. I would be more comfortable if we woke up tomorrow and saw the Brewers signed Adamas to an extension. I'd, I'd run up and down the streets cheering because he's my number <laughs> one guy. Um, I'm wondering if they go that route, especially with kind of some of the offensive struggles they've had these last couple of years, lock in a couple more of your best offensive guys and build around them as you go towards the future, especially as you have some of these Joey Weimers and Garrett Mitchells and Bryce Terangs and those types of guys coming up and potentially joining to add to the offensive firepower and then have, you know, potentially an offensive force to be reckoned with the Brewers pitching pipeline has been more predictable lately and it makes you feel like they would be able to find replacements for the other three i know it's 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 hard for me to say that and look you in the face especially because burns is one of those guys we're talking about but they seem more quote unquote replaceable that's not exactly the term i'm going for but i mean that's the gist of it um than some of these other guys Where's your Adamus type shortstop that you have in the pipeline right now to replace him? Where's your Telez type first baseman that you have in the pipeline to replace him? You know, so that's where I tend to think that they would go towards. 
Yeah, it's um, I, I have a strange feeling that, that you're going to be right there when it comes to the pitching. I mean, the Brewers have a very strong pitching development pipeline. They believe in it, um, and they feel like that they're going to be able to, you know, develop whoever into you know what they need to be. I mean, you got Aaron Ashby, you got Ethan Small, you know, coming up. I mean, you got a couple other guys like, uh, um, hell, even like T.J. Shook and Ryan Mora mm-hmm. that have done really well down on the farm. Yeah. You got Russell Smith down there. Um, you got Antoine, on the- yeah, you got Castaneda, you mm-hmm. got Antoine Kelly. Um, mm-hmm. So like you got some good arms down there. You know, could they develop into Burns or Woodruff type aces? You know, who knows? Um, that's that's very tough to do. That's very tough to get. You know, even mm-hmm. though you've had success developing Burns and Woodruff and Peralta into those guys, there's no guarantee you're going to be able to do it with, you know, Castaneda and Kelly and Smith and all those other guys as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, me personally, I think like when you have those bona fide guys that you have developed, you hold on to them. You don't let them go thinking, oh, yeah, we can just you know, create another Corbin Burns in the pitching lab. No, like you you can't bank on that. You know, you, you like a bird in the hand here, or excuse me, a Burns in the hand is worth (laughs) two in the, in the bush. I know I had to go there. I'm sorry. That's that's good. But like, like you have him there, like, like this is a guaranteed asset that you have. You have potential assets down there on, on the farm who could be, good but you really have no idea what they're going to be so for me i'd like to lock up at least one of burns or woodruff and i know and this is going to be tough for everyone here they're not going to be able to sign both burns and woodruff are not going to sign extensions you get one at most i mean they've already signed peralta to an extension which is great um but you're getting one at at most and I think, you know, when it comes to when it comes to baseball, you know, developing, um, you know, World Series contenders, you, like most teams, their core is maxed out at like like you have like four core players mm-hmm. um, that, that you're able to like extend and like keep around. I mean, think of the last small market team to, to win Kansas City Royals. You had Hosmer, you had Kane, you had um, Gordon and you had who is their other one there i was afraid it was it was a guy similar to alex gordon and i can't think of his name salvador perez there it is yes oh sure okay yes of course um but it's like you like like that was your core four the brewers had like the brewers have two of their core four spots locked up. Christian Yelich locked in part of the core. He's he's one of the pieces. Freddie Peralta signed an extension, locked in part of the core. You got two more spots to fill. How are you going to fill them? And I think there's a couple different ways that they could go about this, but obviously the big fish is Corbin Burns. He's won the Cy Young. He's proven himself pretty much the best pitcher in baseball. That's going to cost you a lot. That extension is starting at $200 million. Mm. You know, and if you sign Burns to that, is there any money to sign anyone else? Right. I don't know. Like, like you, you might end up with a core three. If, like, if you sign Burns, it's like, okay, Burns and Yelich are our two main guys. You got Peralta in there as well. We're not going to be able to sign anyone else to extensions. 
Would you rather take that, you know, keep Burns, keep your Cy Young winner and, and the pace that he's on and the ridiculousness that he is, or would you take a, you know, or maybe you could throw in like a Rowdy Telez, you know, sign him to a modest extension, kind of similar to what they did with Freddie Peralta. You know, Peralta, modest extension, Yelich, big extension. You know, you could do the same with Burns and, and Telez. Mm-hmm. Or would you rather take a Woodruff and Adamas extension package? You know, he signed Woodruff. He's a little bit older, not quite as good as Corbin Burns, um, but you get to keep him around, um, even though it's going a little bit later into his 30s, where there's you know a little bit more of an aging curve. Um, and but and you get to keep Adamus, a very strong offensive shortstop as well. Which path would you rather take? Would you rather take a Burns and Telez combo for extensions, or would you rather have Woodruff and Adamus? I mean, again, I think that depends on whether Telez can continue being who he is right well, now. Well, let's assume that um, he, let's assume that he if is. If he does, I mean, I think I still go. I think even in that situation, I still go Wood, Woody and Adamus. And it, it's hard because then you're saying you've got to let an NL Cy Young winner walk, and you got to let just, the best pitcher in baseball yeah. walk. You got to let a potential. I'm I know I'm putting a lot on him and I'm knocking on wood here, but mm-hmm. a potential future Hall of Famer, if he keeps on this pace, you let him walk mm-hmm. and sign a long-term contract with someone else. And then if he does get into, you know, again, we are, I am way out ahead of, ahead of ourselves here, <laughs> but if he does get into Cooperstown, likely wearing someone else's hat on his mm-hmm. plaque, you know, goes into someone else's, um, rafters not the brewers someone else's yeah. do, do you risk losing that J- just right. to just to go with you know a slightly different thing like that that's tough for me i know i'm i'm emotionally invested in burns over here um and i'd obviously prefer to keep burns around um and maybe i'm letting the emotion cloud the judgment here a little bit but still like it's it's so tough to to make and like they, they've got so many good players to try to keep Mm-hmm. No, that's that's true. Um, but in in Adamus, you've got the youngest of all four of those players. So a guy that like truly is just about to hit his prime. And so you extend him and you've got a guy in, you know, still a lot of his 20 year old years with Woodruff. Yes, he's the oldest now, actually, of that quartet. Um, but good starting pitchers can pitch well into their 30s these mm-hmm. days. So really, I mean, the fact that he's approaching 30, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's it, it might make him more affordable, which is that is actually good for this situation. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, the death knell, I guess. Um, so, yeah, so I still go personally, I go Adamus Woodruff. But I mean, this is this is a painful, like split the baby in half yeah. type situation, like no one comes away a winner in this situation, yeah. like, because you end up losing two extremely valuable guys, wh- no matter what direction you go. Yeah. But I mean, that's a situation that the Brewers find themselves in because they're not going to be able to afford to keep Burns and Woodruff and Adamus. Um, like they're not going to be able to keep all of these guys and they mm-hmm. certainly need, you know, as the payroll continues to expand, they're going to need the farm system to produce, you know, like as you sign these guys to extensions, you need a guy like Joey Weimer, Garrett Mitchell to come up, fill up the outfield for league minimum for a few years. You know, that that's really also going to help out that group as well. So that farm system needs to produce in order to keep this team competitive as you're paying these guys the money that they're worth. 
Um, that that's really kind of key to the Brewers' long-term success. But yeah, I mean, I've like I, I've kind of stated, you know, my my spot here, and this is I think one of the few times that we've disagreed, you know, when it comes to yeah. going back and forth on a few things. We agree on a lot of things, but mm-hmm. I am I am riding with my guy Burns um, for for as long as I can here, um, and whatever he asks, I'm I'm looking to pay. You know, if, if I'm Mark Adnazio, whatever investments he's got to make now so that he can get enough money um, coming in that, that he, can, he can afford to pay him, he better do. I mean, he better do whatever he can to kind of increase his own money here so that he can pay Burns what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really, if if these were actual, you know, the two outcomes that the Brewers end up in, you're going to end up doing well either way. Like you're mm-hmm. you're going to be able to keep two very key parts of this team and have them around for years, and that's only going to be good news for the Brewers. I find it funny that in all of this conversation, we haven't even mentioned the possibility of keeping Josh Hader, which we know, yeah. like we're very aware, and I think Brewers fans are very aware that his future is limited with the Brewers because of how much he's going to cost. But it still is uh, pretty interesting that we didn't even add him as part of the conversation because we just know yeah. we know exactly what's going to happen. That yeah, is something we can agree on. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. I mean, like, I love Josh Hader as much as the next yeah. guy. Like, like, we all love Josh Hader. We also recognize we've been talking about trading him for the past, like, three years because, you know, we knew his, his money was going to keep on going up and up. And, you know, even though he's getting like, what, $11 million this year, I think. Um, and he's still underpaid. I mean, that's probably like 50% of, of what he, he would get on the open market. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, with all of us really kind of like knowing David Stearns' MO by now, paying $20 plus million a year for a reliever, even one as good as Josh Hader, who Stearns has said on multiple occasions is the best reliever in baseball. Mm-hmm. That, that just doesn't seem like something that's in the cards uh, for, for Milwaukee, you know, especially with already paying Yelich. Um, and then, you know, they're definitely going to want to lock up one of Burns or Woodruff. I don't know if they'll be able to lock up either, um, but they're right. going to want to. And they would certainly, if given the choice between extending Burns, Woodruff, or Hader, Hader would come in third on that list every Easy. single time. I mean, the Brewers know... Like relief pitchers are an incredibly volatile position, even though Hader's been very successful for the entirety of his career. It's still going to be volatile, and that doesn't seem like a, a place that they're going to be willing to pay $20 million a season, especially when you got Devin Williams, who's like the closer mm-hmm. in waiting right yep. behind him, and and their ability to develop relievers and like high leverage relievers. Like those they can come up with, you know, pretty regularly um, yeah. and have some success for a little bit. And it's a lot easier for them to find that than starting pitching success. Right. I I think it's a real possibility that Josh Hader's, the rest of his future with the Brewers, is they sign him to one more arbitration con- year contract next year, and he walks. Because yeah. the like we know it makes sense to trade him. Well, Brewers can still get something for him, and that's why the rumors have constantly floated around year after year after year with him. But David Stearns is 
always said that Josh Hader is a very valuable part of this team. And as long as the Brewers are in a position to win and Josh Hader helps them keep piling up wins, he's going to continue being a part of this team. So unless the Brewers crash and burn in a season, which certainly doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon, I think it's very realistic that the Brewers end up getting nothing for him. And I know that's the draft pick. Oh, true. Yes, yes, that. I, I, yeah. Right. Um, but that might be what we're looking at at this point. And that, if that happens, it means that the Brewers are competitive up until hit the final pitch he throws for the team, which is a good thing. But yeah, we we might not end up getting some massive haulback for him. That might be a reality that we have to face uh, after 2023. Yeah, but I mean, also like you know for either this year or next, what haul could you get back that could provide for you this year and next, which are basically the Brewers' two best chances to win a World Series? What mm-hmm. haul could, could he bring back that would help improve your chances to, to win in these next two years? Nothing. Right. Like, like right. no one's going to be able – no one's going to give you a haul of that many major leaguers um, that, that could that much greatly improve your chances of winning – this year and next. I mean, these next two, three years are the Brewers' best chance to win a World Series with, with this group, with, with everyone coming through arbitration. You know, everyone's going to be reaching free agency really after the 2024 season. You got, you're going to have a lot of guys that are going to be up. So your best chances are this year, next year, and the year after. So mm-hmm. it, it's all going to be about trying to help win a World Series with this group. So trading Hater while he's while he's still going to be under contract through 2023 doesn't make much sense if what you get back isn't going to come and help the team until 2025, right. you know? So it, it just, it, it, it makes the most sense, as you've said, to keep them. Yeah. Because the type of team that's going to want to trade for Josh Hader is also going to be a team that's in a competitive window and they're right. not going to want to give up the types of players that help them reach a world series. Right. I, and, and if they are major league ready, they're rookies. Right. I just unfortunately envisioned a nightmarish scenario involving oh no. Josh Hader. And oh it's no. that after do you, do we want to hear this or not? Sure, man. And it's, you, you've it's, already set it up. After 2023, just. I would hate to see this happen, but I feel like, again, this is another real possibility. After 2023, David Stearns goes to the freaking Mets. And signs Josh Hader as a free agent. Wow. Well, that's, that's a lot better than than where I was thinking you were. You going. were thinking Cubs or Cardinals, I know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh god, don't even say, it. don't even no. put it out in the universe. But like that would also still be terrible, but is something but, that I feel like could be very sadly a possibility. But I will say this: if the Brewers win the World Series either this year or in 2023 oh, with David okay. Stearns, then then that's fine. Then then yeah. I'll take that. You know, fine, yeah. you can go over there, have fun with, with New York and dealing with that. You know, mm-hmm. take them over there. As long as we get one World Series out of yeah. this, I'll be fine. Yep. You know, then, 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 then whatever else can happen. I'd still love to see Burns stick around forever um, mm-hmm. because that's just who I am. Um and perhaps winning World Series, you know, with all the money that will come in from that, you'll have enough to sign him to a long-term yeah, exactly. extension. That would be nice, you know, just yeah. saying. Um, so 
So really what I'm getting at is a World Series win is in the best interest of all of us. It so, truly, truly is. That is that is what I'm saying, and I'm sticking to it. All right. I think that's a good spot to end for this yeah. week. World yeah. Series are bust. Done. Yeah. Positive note. A World Series <laughs> win is good all around for the Brewers. Cannot argue with that one. I'd love to see you try. Um, all right. So that will do it for us this week on the Cold Brew Pod. I'm sure to tune in next week for another episode. For Matt Carroll, I'm Dave Gasper. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast.